Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. This episode is sponsored by Try Vegan, a vegan meal home delivery service that is nutritious and delicious and makes your life easier. Based out of New Jersey, they deliver throughout the Northeast. Check out more details on their website, tryveganmealprep.com. And you can get 25% off your first order with the promo code LITYOGA. So go vegan. Good movement and welcome to Redefining Yoga, a lit yoga podcast which is designed to investigate all aspects of the modern evolution of yoga from my background as a physical therapist and lover of movement. My mission is to help everyone find freedom through smarter and safer movement patterns so together we can be uplifted, benefiting all beings. Welcome to Friday with Friends. Today, I have Jessica Gershman on, who is the host and creator of The Zen Mommy. Well, we talk all about what that Zen mommy is like, because who doesn't want to be a Zen mommy? She's the mom of four, but she's also an entrepreneur, a yoga teacher, a foodie, a chef, a blogger, and a podcaster. In other words, a big entrepreneur. So we talk about balancing being a mom with being an entrepreneur, her journey into this place of being a Zen mommy, including her struggles with bulimia, and how she shares her own path with her clients now. She is a wonder, and I feel like a sister from another mister. So enjoy our discussion today. Welcome, Jessica. So happy to have you on here today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. We have so much in common, being yoga teachers, being moms, being really into fitness, wellness, nutrition. You do all of that and so much more. I mean, you're a blogger, you're a teacher, and you're a Zen mommy. So I really want to start off just what, how did that come about? Have you always been Zen? When did the Zen mommy? Oh gosh, no. And person I, you came? Know, yeah, I try to find my Zen every day, right? So that's the challenge. Um, and some days are better than others. Uh, but I had a private studio in my house and I saw mostly women therapeutically one-on-one and they would come in and have an incredible session and feel so amazing. If anybody's practiced yoga, you know that euphoria at the end of Shavasana and literally maybe when they got the toe out of my studio door, you know, the dings of the phone and the fires and the emergencies, 
and that's kind of how the rest of the week traveled. So that was their one kind of respite. And really the idea is how can I give tools to other moms, to other women to transfer over into their daily lives so that we can start to find that quote unquote blissful feeling more than just being in a yoga class because it's not accessible all the time. And so I launched an app uh, over the summer called the Zen Mommy. And it's really about everyone finding their own kind of Zen toolbox. And so I offer yoga, meditation, myofascial release, which is trigger point release, uh, breath work, mindfulness tips. I teach cooking uh, because most moms are tasked with the job of cooking and most people don't really enjoy it. Uh, and so the idea is if you had some skill at something, you're going to feel more confident and you'll enjoy it more. And nobody wants to be the last kid picked on the soccer field. <laughs> no, you don't. So same with cooking or anything that we try as an adult. Uh, and food has always been a big part of my life. And so I would share our recipe database of gluten and dairy-free recipes, refined sugar-free. Those are big uh, inflammatory foods. And so it's been a lot of fun. It's a learning process, um, but I'm out there just trying to give other moms tools for their kind of Zen toolbox. So what have you found from other moms um, is the biggest impediment to, to, their, to their own self-care? Yeah, well, time and priorities. I think the biggest thing I hear from moms is, you know, putting themselves last. And we're nurturers by trade, and we do a really good job of taking care of others. But the reality is we have to start making a conscious shift on what our priorities are because ultimately you're gonna run yourself ragged and you'll be left with nothing left in the tank. And that's a really hard thing to for other moms to um, grasp, understand, implement, uh, because you know we have children, we bring these little beings into the world. I have four, I have two stepsons I raised and two little girls uh, and I get it, you know, and we, we have these precious little lives that, you know, we're having to manage and, 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 and hold and, and, you know, take throughout their life. And it's hard to say, Hey, you got to put yourself before these, these little beings, but it's absolutely imperative to our, our psyche, to our well-being, to our wellness, uh, because no one else can take care of you. Not your husband, not your spouse, not your friends, not your kids who will eventually get up and leave, hopefully, if you've done a good job. Uh, and you really have to start making yourself a priority. And it really becomes a mindset shift. Absolutely. Well, before you get into some of those tips, I want to learn a little bit more about you and have um, the listeners know about your background. Have you always been into wellness, into fitness? Yeah, I, you know, I was a cheerleader in high school. Um, I've always been driven and type A and a perfectionist. And so when I first tried yoga, it was definitely not for me. Um, I would say it was kind of like a granola yoga or really gentle kind of yoga. And um, yeah, it was not, I was not biting on that, that apple at the time. Uh, so I started my career really young at 19. I became a commercial real estate developer uh, and worked in my father's company. As a matter of fact, he called me from college and said I was wasting the family's money and I needed to come home and work uh, regardless of having four O's in college and obviously being a type A perfectionist, you know, you wouldn't get anything less, but I started my career really young. Uh, I met my husband when I was 22. We've been together for 18 years but I struggled. I really struggled. Um, I'm very open about talking about uh, my eating disorders. I suffered from bulimia from my late teens into my twenties, which was really isolating and challenging. And despite going to therapy and, and being, um, 
you know, kind of working on myself, it's a really hard disease to overcome. I mean, truly it's one of those where you're always recovering. I kind of look at it almost like an addiction or alcoholism. And, you know, for me, the eating disorder is like a radio in a car. And it just depends on when you get in the car, if the radio is up really loud or if it's just a whisper. Uh, so it's something that, you know, consciously I'm always working on. Uh, but I found yoga after the birth of my first daughter. So when my daughter, Eva, who's now 13, uh, came into the world, that was definitely the impetus to really get my life together. And I think as mothers that anyone listening would know what we won't do for ourselves, we would do for our children. And so that was really crunch time for me to, to get it together. And I found my way into a hot vinyasa studio that played really loud rap music and was flowing on your own. And I just felt this freedom. And for the first time in my life, I really felt good enough. Uh, and if anybody's had that kind of aha experience in yoga, that led me to coming back to that studio every day and eventually into my first teacher training, never with the, the idea that I would want to teach, uh, but really just for my own self-exploration. And of course I did start teaching. I had taught some group fitness in the past and had always been really active, uh, but that was the beginning of my transformative journey. And after years and many, many trainings later, you know, people start to notice that you're a different person. I mean, you really start to rewire your brain. I mean, you remold your brain, uh, science backed. And I, you know, I became a different person and I was able to continue on my journey and my path. And, um, yoga is, has just a very amazing place in my heart. Hmm. So, you know, in terms of an eating disorder, which in, in my mind is a form of self-harm, you know, mm -hmm. we, there's way, different ways we can harm ourselves and, you know, choose, choosing to, or I guess having the behavioral pattern that sets us up to make a choice that is harmful, like, mm -hmm. rest, you know, restricting our diet or in the case of bulimia, eating and purging, the self-harm usually is rooted in something. Do you, do you look back and have some triggers that initiated that um, pathway toward oh, bulimia? Absolutely. Uh, I could say that everything in my personality and in my upbringing kind of set me up for that path. Unfortunately, uh, as much as I love my father, he was very controlling. And, you know, um, I had two siblings that were overweight. And so I learned real early on that being overweight was bad and in our family and being skinny was good. Uh, so there was that constant pressure. Uh, and I mean, even just little things that he would say like, oh, you, you know, you did a good job on your plate, which was, you know, cue for you ate too much and I'm judging you. Uh, and so obviously type A driven perfectionism, it was about control, which is interesting because as much as you feel like you're controlling the food intake, you're completely out of control, right? This, it, the, the behaviors that the mindset is taking over and ruling your life. And so when I got to college, uh, unfortunately, I was placed with a roommate who was anorexic and it was just like learned behavior. You know, we didn't, who would have thought that that's who I was ruined with? I didn't know the girl. Um, and so that kind of set up the, the pattern of behaviors. And it was such an isolating and just lonely time in my life. And, you know, my parents didn't really know how to, to help me And there. I don't think there's so much better support. I think parental support out there available for anyone that might be suffering. People are talking about it more. Uh, 
but it was just so isolating and lonely. And I just remember wanting the things in my brain to stop, but not really knowing how. I find later, you know, many, many years later that, you know, yogis believe suffering is in the mind. It's it's being stuck in the past or worrying about things that haven't happened. And that through meditation and yoga, that I'm able to kind of gain back control of those monkey thoughts and disassociate myself from this craziness that goes on in my mind. Uh, and that was really helpful in dealing with some of those uh, mental constructs and behaviors. Mm. Well, I'm so glad you've healed from that. And I know it is such a you know, tragedy among so many teens. And then again, it sets it up. Like you said, it's, it's, it's kind of a recovery. You're never, you're never, cause those, those little seeds are still there. It's just important to be able to recognize the things that trigger it, that, that mental kind of palette that, that tells us we're not good enough or, you know, or, or whatever reason we're eating or purging or restricting, but it is, it does take up a lot of space. I like how you how you were saying, like it, what I find from the people that I've worked with who have had eating disorders is they once they've really gotten to recovery, there's like such a recognition of how much energy it drained from them. They're like, my goodness, if I had had this space for, I would have been able to accomplish so much more because it's 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 we're not liking ourselves and yet we're spending a lot of time thinking about ourselves. Absolutely. It's so, kind of like an addict, yeah. you know, where they're constantly, mm -hmm. you know, whether you're an alcoholic, you're thinking about when you're getting the next drink or if it's drugs, you know, when you're getting that next fix, you know, eating disorders are an interesting because the behavior pattern is similar, but you have to find a healthy relationship with food. You know, you don't have to find a healthy relationship with drugs or alcohol. Uh, so it makes it even more challenging to truly recover and create a healthy relationship with food because you can't just, you know, get it out of your life and move on. Do you remember that kind of first moment or moments when you were really enjoying food and weren't having an internal conversation about, oh, I'm eating too much. Oh, this has a lot of calories. Oh, this is fattening. Oh, I'm going to, you know, get rid of it later. Do you have a memory of that kind of, or was that more like a transition? So it wasn't necessarily one day. Yeah. I don't think there was like a day that I woke up and I was like, oh my gosh, the thoughts are gone. But over periods of time, when you start to replace, you know, negative self-talk with positive, and it's like kind of, you know, maybe fake it towards you make it. And for me in yoga, it was a space I kept coming back to. And I was like, okay, I'm okay. You know, or maybe that was to get me through the next day. Uh, and, and being able to be in a place to then do some of the trauma work that I needed to heal from, uh, which, you know, was really important, but I wasn't ready for that until I could start to manage what was going on in my crazy mind and start to replace some of those negative reels, negative self-talk. I mean, if you imagine anyone listening, the kind of ways that we talk to ourselves in our head, well, we would never say that to anyone, not a child, not our friend. No one would like us if we said, you know, the things out loud to other people that we say to ourselves. And so I think it's definitely a process of turning down that station, turning down that noise. And it wasn't like it was on really loud and then it turned off, but it was slowly over time to be able to have a healthy relationship with food. I mean, I went on and went to culinary school just for fun and, and I teach cooking and I celebrate food, uh, which is 
a far cry from where I was 20 years ago, but I feel really good about where the chatter is. And at least I know that if some of that starts to kick up as life happens, you know, as we fail our way through life, some of those negative uh, kind of inner critic uh, chatter starts to kick up. I have tools on how to get back to center. It's meditation, it's breath work, it's being in nature, it's yoga, it's moving my body, it's nourishing with food that will make me feel good, you know, plant-based food, whole foods from the earth. So I have a toolbox at 40 that I never had at 20 years old. And so it doesn't eliminate the, the chatter or sometimes, you know, it doesn't stop you from having negative experiences or, or suffering in some way, but I know how to get myself back to center now, which I never did before. Mm, I love that. And I think those tools are really important for anyone listening you might have some of them and they might be different. You have to find the ones that are consistently good. But the ones you mentioned, you know, you notice you pretty much unless you could pay for a yoga class, but it doesn't take a lot out of your bank account or out of your mental bank account to, to try these things, to, to meditate, to journal, to practice yoga, to go into nature. That's so humbling and so grounding to, to be in nature it's it's so effective. And I think in our modern day life, we get away from that a lot, unless we're lucky enough to live in nature like you and I both are. But starting off, uh, how do you recommend for people to get into meditation? Um, how did you get into it? And, and what are some tips you provide for people? Because a lot of people think meditation, I can never do that, especially if I'm like a gung-ho, moving all around person. The last thing, I just can't even imagine meditating. Well, and I think meditation and yoga are both scary and people, well, I'm not good at that. And there are also two things that you really can't be bad or good at. Um, meditation for me is just eliminating the doing and work on the being aspect. And so it's not about not thinking or stopping the thoughts. I think for a long time, when I first started my yoga teacher training, I thought, well, I can't be good at meditation. And then I needed to be doing something or there was a right way, you know, and I had maybe been misguided. I was able to have a really incredible meditation teacher that gave me a mantra to start that really resonated with me. And it was just the sound. It was so cool. It was the sound that's always there is how we described it, but I just had to tap into it. I had to still and calm my mind enough to be able to listen to it, whether I was reciting it or, you know, receiving it. And so that was really helpful, but meditation and breath work is, is free for everyone. You know, you can be in a meditative state or in a very mindful state in carpool, in traffic, riding the subway, going to work. These are tools uh, that you can do in your everyday life. You can be cooking a meal for your family and be completely immersed in the experience and practicing mindfulness and using just everyday tools and techniques, things that we do all the time, doing the dishes, folding the laundry can be a meditative experience. So for me, starting a meditation, I think is just giving yourself permission to have the experience. And uh, it's really important to say that you, there's no wrong way to do it. And uh, there's no right way to do it. There's so many incredible free apps out there for guided meditation. Um, I have them on Zen Mommy. Insight Timer is a really good one that I come to that has thousands and thousands of people um, that are incredible uh, leaders and teachers of meditation. Uh, Budify is another app that I really like, uh, which is nice. And you can dial in, oh, I have 10 minutes and you know I'm feeling anxious or I have 20 minutes and I want to go to sleep. But the more you just start dabbling into it, 
Uh, I get my kids involved, which I think is, is cool. So you can start that kind of exposure really young and kids can meditate for, you know, they recommend about a minute for the year that they're alive. So I have a nine-year-old and a 13-year-old. Uh, so we can sit for about 10 minutes for, with them. But breathing, I think, is the other big piece that people underestimate because it's something automatic that we don't really think about. But really focusing on the breath just as an anchor and working on maybe elongating the exhales, breathing in through your nose, exhaling through your mouth, even just five or 10 breaths can almost shift you out of a kind of fight or flight or anxious experience into the present moment, which is more calm, you know, more present. And, and those things are accessible to, to most. So. Mm, I love all of those. And I think it's so important for people to realize that, yeah, meditation is not defined by sitting and being quiet. You know, it is, it, it, like you mentioned, it can be in all of those places in your everyday life. And it's just, it's just inviting us to pay attention, you know, because how many people when they are sitting in the subway or are waiting or, you know, not driving hopefully, but are just scrolling, right? Looking at their phone, they're filling up that space and, and being entertained mentally, but not really doing much mentally for themselves in the long run. And these are these are opportunities that we can really capture and capitalize on to just improve that that clearer mind. Because a clearer mind is when we actually just hit the pause button. And, and we can do that definitely throughout the day. So when you are working with people, and these are all wonderful tools, it's, it's incredible, all the sources. I've, I look through your website, so everybody should definitely check out Zen Mommy and the app and your blog, your cooking, your yoga. What other, do you work with groups of women like in person or virtually now? And what are some of the common threads besides time that you see women are really struggling with in this day and age? Yeah, I think it's interesting that we still have as moms, this martyr syndrome that we, that we carry around and comparison thanks to social media, which, you know, is a necessary evil. I think intentionality comes down to a lot of things. Women will find time to do a HIIT workout or, you know, go to the gym, but don't find time for yoga. And I think it's a blend of everything. And a lot of times our life feels really off balance. It's very heavy in, in one way. And maybe that's toward like, you know, the very Vata stuff, the very, you know, fiery things, fiery foods, fiery experiences, fiery workouts, and doesn't have enough of, you know, the more balanced or gentle side. And I think, you know, we don't value rest as, as a society, as a whole. And it's something that I need to be very intentional about each and every day. We're a very go-getter. I mean, even compared to other countries, you know, in the world, I mean, Americans work more, but are less productive. So we're, we're <laughs> less happy. We're not we're doing so, We're not doing something right. Yeah. Right. Something's missing there. And the idea of slowing down has been frowned upon. And, you know, with the podcast, it's called Mom Slow Down. You know, it was this idea that in slowing down, we, we achieve more, we achieve greater, we're more grateful, we're happier. You know, when we're going, 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 we're mindless. We're not really attuned to what's going on or the experiences that we're having. I mean, I use this example. How often do you drive somewhere and you're like, I don't, even know how I got here. I just showed up because we're living in our, in our head. And I think with the comparison of social media and Pinterest, we're, we're a society that walks around just feeling less than, 
And that's a really hard place to come back from because life is just hard in general. Forget being, you know, inundated all the time with comparisons to people that are skinnier, skinnier, faster, smarter, you know, better looking than you. I mean, there's always going to be someone out that's better than you. And um, I think just getting comfortable in our own skin. And my idea is really just creating space and a platform for moms to show up and be okay just as they are. Oh, I love that. I love that because sorry to interrupt, but one thing yeah. I do know, and it's always uh, so surprising and and disheartening is how hard other moms are on, on, you know, they're like the most critical is once you become a mom, there's a lot of like, uh, you're setting yourself up for a lot of criticism from other moms, like how you're parenting, how you're not parenting well, what you choice, and to actually have what what you have a community that's coming together and sharing ideas and sharing grievances and not, it's not about the comparison. It's about really lifting each other up and and being the support network. I mean, don't you think, Laura, you feel like the energy, the vibration of the earth is changing. I mean, I feel it over the last few years. And I think, you know, the pandemic was the real impetus to just have everyone recalibrate their energy. And we recognized what things we were doing in our life that maybe we could say no to that, you know, weren't really filling us up, that were really depleting and only put the relationships back in, the activities, the things that really mattered. Uh, because we we were all shown that really life is outside of our control and it can change at any moment. And really just that internal world, what's going on in our mind is really the only thing that we can start to. Uh, and so, yeah, I, I lost my train of thought there for a second. Well, I was going to say, speaking of the pandemic, how how did it change for you as a mom? Like, what were some things that you that were revealed to you? It was. Uh, I think relationships were big. I, mean, I was always one that was really good at saying no because I'm, I really prioritize my sleep, and so I like to go to bed. But by nine o'clock ish, nine thirty, if I'm pushing it, uh, but what I think we experienced as a family was time that we'll never get back again. Uh, we were playing kickball in the front yard, you know, that rushing of going and doing, I think it opened up for like platforms like yours, where we were able to take fitness and bring it in our home and get all that time back from commute. I mean, I got hours back in my week of not having to go to a yoga studio, but I can still support small businesses and still support, you know, local companies and other teachers that I admire. And so I got all this time back and then it was to use it wisely, I think where time was so precious, but we realized, I think in all of that is how much we were really wasting. And there's more efficient ways, you know, and that we can start to schedule in time with our children, schedule in rest, and we don't need to over schedule our life, which I think maybe prior to that, a lot of us did. And I'm, you know, I'm guilty of it as well. I think a lot of people did. And, and, you know, I can't even imagine the people that were commuting like an hour, an hour and a half each way to work. Yeah. And I think it really woke them up like, wow, that's that's three hours of my day. I'm I have back. I have back. And if I can do this from home or if I can do it from home at least some days of the week, um, yeah. my life is gonna be a lot more fulfilling for sure. The quality of life, I think, improved for so many and just recognizing, I mean, time, we're not getting any more time. There's only so many hours in a day, days in a year. And I think a lot of people gain that back and we're able to prioritize time of family and really foster the relationships that fill them up and use that time, you know, to really 
engage because we miss human connection when you got it all ripped out from it. We're like, Oh wait, we really like people. And (laughs) (laughs) I I miss them. I I miss miss a hug. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds like yoga has definitely been a huge part of bringing you home to your essence and making me feel more comfortable in your skin. Now with getting older, what are some other things that you have discovered that about life in general that you, you know, might wish you might've known earlier, but you know, I think sometimes it is only with age that we really discover it, but what are you really enjoying about this decade of life now? I love it. I mean, I say all the time, I, 25 year old Jess was a hot mess, you know, and I wouldn't go back to do that for love nor money. And I see other all right, young, you know, like we have babysitters around for the kids and, you know, they're 22 and they're so bright eyed and, you know, but you're, as you age, which is funny, you just become more comfortable in your skin. You start worrying less about what others think of you and more about what you think about yourself. Mm-hmm. And I think the comfort of aging gets to only come with age. I mean, I, like I said, when I started my career at 19, I worked with mostly women that were much older than me and I revered them, looked up to them so much and they would complain about wrinkles, this and that. I'm like, yeah, but those are experiences. Like I couldn't wait to be older because I saw in them, you know, as mentors, this comfort, this ease in their own bodies and who they were as a person that only comes through experience. And, you know, twenties are twenties for a reason and you get the good butt and the good skin and all that's awesome. (laughs) But, you know, it comes with a price of just kind of figuring things out. And you can only do that through experience and, and heartache and loss and joy. And, uh, I wouldn't go back. I'm excited for like, even when I see in fifties and the sixties, I mean, you just keep getting more wiser. You keep returning back to the source. You keep returning back to that knowing you trust your intuition more than you ever have. You trust and know who you are as a person and where you are in life and in, in this planet. Uh, and it's a really beautiful thing that only comes with age. And so, you know, if you get a few more wrinkles and some saggy skin along the way, that's all right. That's all right. Yes. Yeah. You just want to be ha- Yeah. You want to feel happier. You want to feel yeah. more content. And like you said, more at home. So coming back to you being a mom, what has been some of the bigger challenges and how did you handle them um, with your now sounds like a teenager and tween of your um, biological children and and your stepchildren? Yeah. Well, step parenting is is hard, is a thankless job a lot of times. Um, And I think the biggest takeaway for me was owning my failures. I learned so much through messing things up and really being very honest with my children. Um, very honest about, you know, my struggles. I'm honest about, you know, when I mess up, I'm like, you know, mommy did a really not great job and I can do better. And here's why. Uh, and I think we are able to be human for our children and that gives them permission to also stumble and fall along the way. Uh, because whether or not you think uh, your kids are idolizing you, they are, and they're watching everything that you're doing. And if you have a teenager or preteen at home, you know, they don't really listen to what you say. They more, let's see what you're doing and how you treat people and how you treat yourself. And I think really just celebrating the failures. I mean, even starting, I started a clothing line a handful of years ago because 
my friends would say, I don't read the Yelp reviews. I just jump two feet into, I'm like, someone's like, you should start a clothing line. I'm like, great. I don't know anything about fashion or <laughs> it was uh, I, I, two years of butting my head against the wall uh, and failed miserably. And I ended up designing a, a line of athleisure wear and like anti-cellulite pants. And, and, and that was cool, but never succeeded. But each one of those kind of failures and putting myself out there and being vulnerable uh, I just applied to be on MasterChef and, you know, I'm like, I don't doubt I'll get on it, but I get to show my girls that it's okay to be vulnerable and put yourself out there. And it may not always work out, you know, and you're not going to always get an, a yes. And sometimes you learn more from the no's than you do the yes opportunities. But I think continuing to challenge myself and, you know, going through entrepreneurship roles and starting a podcast and having an app and, I get so proud with my girls. I've got my little nine-year-old is the one that tells all our teachers at school, my mom has an app. You have to download it. And then I finally meet their teachers and they're like, oh, you're the Zen mommy. I'm like, oh, it's so amazing. You know, it's just being open and honest with your kids and being human, showing up, having a human experience. We're not meant to know it all. Uh, I constantly can do better in life and, and can own that. And as things, you know, a lot of times the girls and I, we get to learn together, you know, and to say that you don't have the answers for something is really powerful, you know, and you can come back and use those as learning opportunities for you and your kids. Uh, and, you know, laughing about stuff. I think laughing at mistakes and laughing at um, some of the silly things we do uh, when we're not at our best. Just right. And being able to shake them off. Right. Yeah. Because I think it is like being a parent is truly a, a it's not just a responsibility. It is it is a role that is so unique because we're mentors and guides, and yet we're also models. Yeah. So we can't be perfect. And I think that's very important to um, show the children. Like, like you said, wow, I was not my best self today. I'm really sorry about that. And showing them humility and forgiveness and how to shake things off and to recover because that resiliency is so needed for everyone, but especially kids nowadays. And and I think that um, it is, it's such a beautiful role. And like you said, we learn so much about ourselves actually by being a parent through our children. So it, it is, it's wonderful, but I also call it like a big chemistry experiment. We kind of do everything and we don't know really how hey, it's going to turn stick? out you have no idea. Yeah, for decades to come. My daughter's now 19 and I'm like, whoa, we have an amazing relationship. And she launched into college and and she's doing so well. And it's just you know, I'm just grateful for each day she's doing well, but I also know she's going to stumble and fall just like she has in her in her other teen years. And it is hard in our on our mama hearts to watch it, but it's necessary because mm -hmm. we can't we can't take the pain and struggle away because life is hard, and it'd be a lot better to know that early. Even my daughter was so funny. She um she was always drawn more to books that were like slightly darker, like a uh, mm -hmm. rolled doll or something, mm -hmm. because she's like, this is real. Like she even recognized like when they kind of, when it all is buttoned up at the end and everybody's happy, it's, she, that wasn't, that wasn't um, entertaining for her because it wasn't real. And I thought that was interesting to have such an old soul as a little girl to, to observe that, that like, oh yeah, you know what? I, I need to, she already knows like yeah, that life absolutely. is hard and it's, a lot better to give the tools uh, to her that way. You also had a yoga studio. Mm -hmm. Is that correct? Yes. And so yeah. tell Go me ahead. about that being another yoga studio owner, former. I just closed my studio down last year. But what is 
what was your journey into that? And can you give any recommendations to people who are thinking about after climbing out of this pandemic, opening up a yoga studio? Well, you know, I had the luck of being able to just be one person. So, you know, having a studio in my home, it was nice because there was only so many hours in the day and so many clients that I could take in. And being one person, it was nice to grow word of mouth. But I think the hardest part of owning a yoga studio for anyone is that you get away from the actual yoga part and you become a business owner and you're managing people and staff and, you know, the joy that brought you into teaching yoga and sharing that kind of goes away. So that's a challenge, uh, I think in any way, but I think yoga in particular is a interesting business because it's not like just owning a gym, you know, it's a very sacred space and, you, you know, people walk in with all kinds of life experiences and struggles and, you don't know anything about these people's story. And so there's a level of humility and, and gratitude to create an environment where people feel safe enough to practice such a vulnerable practice to go through. I'm so grateful to the studio where I walked in and found my first experience that they created and cultivated a space where I could have this deeply transformative experience. And so being a yoga teacher or having a yoga studio is not something that I take lightly. I feel very honored. I take it very seriously because you are holding that space, that energy for someone to, to go inside, which it is scary in there to go inside for that first time or the first 10 times, or even now after all these years, you know, and, and you get to rework yourself, you know, and so having a space for people to have those experiences is truly incredible. I mean, I think we need so many more yoga studios. I think it's growing and, you know, I'm, I'm in the Midwest. And so yoga is definitely not as popular as, you know, the hit workouts and, and all those kind of things. And, uh, or as yoga is uh, on the coast, on the East and West coast, but it's coming. And I think people are finding styles of yoga and teachers that they really like that, you know, foster, you know, this incredible practice and life. And, and so I think just not taking it lightly, knowing that, you know, the, the practice of yoga is really uh, a sacred space. So in the next, say, five or 10 years, how, where do you want your business to, to go? Are you going to keep the gas on for the yoga studio? Um, do you have plans for expanding in any way? How about with your app and your cooking? What, what do you foresee? What are your big plans, if you can reveal any of them? Yeah, I mean, you know, I'm always hopeful as to how things are going. I think the biggest for me as an entrepreneur is being ready to pivot. Mm. I'm kind of running the, the Zen Mommy app and the podcast at the same time and kind of feeling it out. And like I said, I've only launched the app since the summer uh, and the podcast is now in its thirst third season. So I'm having a lot of fun with it. And I get to ride it until the wheels fall off until I, something else opens up or it doesn't work anymore. And as far as owning a yoga studio or having that space, uh, maybe when I, my girls get a little bit older um, and need me less as inevitably they will. And, you know, from having a 19 year old daughter, and I think you said you had one in high school that's still at home, you know, they're, they're hardly around, you know, they still need, need to pick them up at carpool at, at 310, you know, today, this, <laughs> this time. So, you know, they still become my priority. So I'm able to kind of be an entrepreneur and, and show them that you can do anything, you know, as a woman, as a mother, uh, and also be there for my girls. So, uh, we'll see. I love traveling around when things open back up again. I'd love to start 
uh, I've done some teaching in person um, and some outdoor events, which have been really great because I just miss the community of yoga. I do. I know. Well, I think those are great words for anyone who is a mom and does want to dive a little bit more into business, having their own business and being an entrepreneur is that you can do it in these stages. And with always, like like Jessica was saying, with always the knowledge that, you know, family first. And as they do get older, there's going to be more time. So a lot of times when I have younger moms who are kind of see me where I am now, I'm like, I wasn't doing this when my kids were younger. I just right. wasn't. I was doing something. And so the seeds of an entrepreneurship can can start in the younger years. But um, knowing that it might be too much to do like a big, you know, have a, a big business and want to be there for your kids simultaneously, that might not work. And it's like, give yourself the grace and ease, um, like you mm-hmm. were saying, Jessica, to just kind of volume up as they get older and need you less, you can also build your business. And especially when you set yourself up with such strong foundations like you have. Just closing off, I'd love to know like a little bit about your daily routine. I know that's always kind of the question that when I get, I always chuckle because it varies every day. But are there some like non-negotiables for you that in your daily routine that really help you? I have a feeling I know some of them, but I'd love to hear. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I get up, sorry, I get the kids off to school. And I think that's anybody with school-age kids at home, that morning time is usually kind of chaotic. And so trying to just ease that as as much as possible. And then non-negotiable for me is is movement and meditation. So before I open my computer or start my workday or do anything really for anyone else, is I take that time. And even on the weekends, I'm moving my body every day in some way that feels good. Sometimes it's a walk in nature. It's my yoga practice. It's jumping on the Peloton. It's hitting balls on the tennis court. Um, but I definitely feel more alive, uh, and less stuck. So I got to get those creative juices flowing. Uh, and it's fun. I mean, you know, the good and bad about working from home is that you're working from home. So there's always laundry and, and dishes and things that are calling your name, but I have the luxury of being able to kind of close off my doors. Um, so I get to focus on the business and, and, uh, work, which is fun. You know, being an entrepreneur is fun, uh, because it's different every day. You know, you wear all kinds of different hats, which I think is good for me because I would get bored if I just, you know, only did one thing day in, day out. And so I get to be a professional and then I get to, you know, record yoga and then I get to be in the kitchen. And so I get to kind of foster all of my hobbies and loves and passions all within the confines of of this little business of mine. Uh, And then, you know, we, as a foodie, we have dinner together every night. Uh, and my kids are pretty adventurous eaters, although the younger one compartmentalize all of her food. Nothing can touch. She can't have the sauce. You know, it's got to all be in its separate uh, separate places. Uh, but we do. We do peaks and pits and something that we're proud of as a family. So we communicate and uh, and we've just got vol- middle school sports back, which has been fun. So we get to go out there and support our daughter. And uh, And I'm in bed by nine o'clock. So it's pretty uneventful. <laughs> No, that sounds like a full day right there. And I yeah. love the peaks and pits. We did mm-hmm. roses and thorns, which I love it. Yeah, for anybody who doesn't know or doesn't have kids or haven't heard of any of this and you do have kids, it's just like giving your kid an opportunity to talk about like something that went well and something that, you know, didn't go well. And I think again, this is the building of resilience. It's also building the communication skills to be able to say when something went well or even more importantly when it didn't go well and be able to talk about it because 
as we know, uh, generations before us didn't do that. And there's a lot of suffering that can be um, not, you know, at least eased when we are able to talk about the things that, that don't go well. Um, I love your day. I think it sounds wonderful. So thank you so much for taking the time. It was, I feel like we have so much in common. You're like a sister from another mister. <laughs> I love um, it. Can you tell us a little bit about where we can find you and uh, where people can find your blog, your app, and any more information about you? We'll have it yeah. on the show notes as well. Awesome. Yeah. My website is thezenmommy.com. I'm at Instagram at the underscore zen underscore mommy. Uh, the podcast is called Mom Slow Down. We're deep into the third season. Um, so give me a follow, send me a message. I'd love to hear from you. And the app is the Zen Mommy. It's available on Apple and Google Play. I love it. It's so, it is so cool. Like your like your youngest uh, younger said to have an app, right? It's just like right. I have an app. I have an app for that. Yeah, I think just, just check what it out. She's into it. Yeah, it's, it, <laughs> she wouldn't. She wasn't into the yoga studio or anything. But you know, now that I have an app, she thinks it's cool. You're so. super cool. Well, that you know, like that is above all really matters when your kids think you're think you rock pretty hard, which you do. So thank you, Jessica. It was a pleasure, and I hope we get to practice together in person sometime. Absolutely. Thank you. And thanks to all of you listening. As always, I'm pulling for you. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.